So last time I spoke, I spoke on building an apostolic house. And so this morning I'm carrying on with that same theme of building a prophetic house. They're cool. They're not two different houses. They get caught up in the language. And the houses are good. Um, but it's about building in that kind of dynamic into uh, the body of Christ. And so for me, again, when I look at, at the church, um, I'm not uh, satisfied just to reproduce what exists. Because um, as much as the, the church is expanding and growing, um, my heart is for a pure bride. And I think it's God's heart for a pure bride. He's coming back for a pure bride. He's not just coming back for a whole lot of people who, who carry his name or proclaim that, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. Um, but he wants people that, that look like him, that reflect his glory and his nature, um, that are his bride in that way. And so the, the prophetic is a very important uh, dynamic in the church. Uh, as it says, as the, the scripture I read the other week, of, um, you know, it's the apostles and prophets that lay the foundation for the church. And I think that's kind of almost every time a new work is established, it's important that there's a apostolic and prophetic people and dynamics getting built into that foundation. Because again, if you take a structure and you transplant a structure without building a foundation, even though that structure existed really, really well in one place, you transplant it to another place, that structure will fall down because there's no foundation. Okay? So the new foundation needs to get built, and you might be able to take that same kind of model or framework and put it in a new place, but it functions well because it's built on the right foundation. But as we go from you know different regions, even within a city, the church in Quinana versus the church in uh, the city of Melbourne or in Dalkeith or wherever we go, the church is going to uh, function slightly differently because of the people that God is wanting to reach, number one, because of the purposes and plans that he has for even for a region, for a place, are going to be slightly different. And so it's important that we're setting into the foundation the right kind of flexibilities um, to, to move with what's happening. So, uh, again, there's probably a lot of language of you know organic, the organic church, and I used to talk a lot about that. I still do agree with that. But organic isn't um, just kind of do whatever, you know. It has structure. So in the same way like a, a leaf is organic, but a leaf has structure. It has, you know, spines and veins and different parts that make it what it is. And so it has flexibility, but it has flexibility within limits. In the same way, our body is organic, but there's still flexibility. You know, we can move, but we're not just, if we didn't have bones, if we didn't have an internal structure, then we'd just be a pile of flesh sitting on the floor. Um, so, so it's having kind of both of these elements, and I think built within the, the apostolic and the prophetic dynamic is this movement and flexibility that we're building out our, what we're doing on ideals rather than on kind of programs or structures that have been established and maybe even worked well to fulfill particular purposes in one area, but if we just transplant that into a new area, it doesn't work. Even just on Friday, uh, we were speaking with um, Simon and Kat Moore, and Kat was saying about growing up in... Uh, in Papua New Guinea as a, as a missionary child and, and again it was it was common for people to take what worked in the West and apply that in other kind of foreign countries and they found that it didn't work because it's, it's radically different cultures and so she was saying where they would they would go in and the, the planning of this missionary um, kind of group was in 50 years time that there would be no Westerners there but it would be a, a, you know kind of indigenous people raising up to lead the work that is established there. So when it comes to the, the prophetic um, gift set and the prophetic ministry and the prophetic calling, uh, my I think the one of the most succinct explanations of what the prophetic is about and what prophets do is they call people into covenant faithfulness to God. Okay. Covenant faithfulness to God. They're constantly drawing people back into this place of intimacy and covenant and faithfulness to God in that way. So we see in the Old Testament, the prophets would speak on behalf of God to the people. Okay? And they would foretell and, and tell forth. So they would speak of the future. They would tell of things that are to come or that things that God is, is wanting to do. Or they would speak into a situation or even a past situation and explain what God was doing in that moment. 
So the people, God might do something and the people find themselves in a situation, the prophet comes along and says, the situation that you're in is a result of your rebellion or whatever it might be, and this is what God is wanting to say. Prophets would rebuke. They would call out the sin of the people. Okay? But it was always for the purpose of bringing them back into covenant relationship with God. It was never simply just, it wasn't about trying to destroy the people of God. It was about bringing them back into right relationship with God. That was the role of the prophetic in the Old Covenant. In the New Covenant, all of a sudden we've got the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of truth that's poured out upon all believers, or into all believers. And so the role of the prophets then in this kind of New Covenant uh, reality is, is slightly different. It functions in a different way because we've got the Holy Spirit that speaks on behalf of God. We've got the scriptures that speak, you know, in, in some way on behalf of God. And there's still the function and the role of, of the prophetic ministry to speak on behalf of God, to tell what is coming, to explain what is happening in a situation. So they have that function and that role. But I think the role of the prophets in the New Testament, and when we look at that in the fivefold ministry context and building a prophetic foundation, is more about creating DNA of what it is to be a people of covenant faithfulness to God. For a people to be in relationship, that deep covenantal relationship with God. The prophets lay a foundation that gets built upon where our primary, one of our primary purposes and functions is to be faithful to God above all else, above all other things. So when the prophetic ministry functions without a prophetic uh, foundation laid, then the prophetic ministry can be a lot about speaking out what God is saying, but not necessarily uh, the heart of God, the, the, the presence of God, the reality of God, and not necessarily about drawing people back into that place of God and intimacy with God. So we can, you know, the prophetic then, when it's not building on, on a prophetic foundation, can speak a word of rebuke. But the word of rebuke is missing that dynamic of drawing people back in. And maybe because that prophet isn't even in a place of intimacy with the Father. Oh, go on then. So, go. Go. so there's a difference between the foundation of the prophetic ministry and the function of the prophetic ministry. So it's not so much about what a prophet does, but about the, the culture that a prophet builds. So as the church is built on an apostolic and a prophetic foundation, it's less about having a whole lot of people that can prophesy, but it's about having a whole community and culture of people that put God first, that pursue intimacy with the Father first, that love God first. Yep. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The greatest commandment that there is, that exists, that sums up all of the, what? When Jesus says, the summing up all of the, and the prophets okay so you want to sum up everything that the prophets have ever said in all of the old testament scriptures and this is what they're challenging jesus well what's the greatest commandment jesus you know trying to trick him out and he says well we can sum up everything that the law exists for and the prophets spoke out was that people would come into a place of understanding and experiencing and working out loving god above all things Loving God with the fullness of who you are. Amen. So some of the functions of the prophetic ministry are, as I said before, you know, kind of foretelling, foretelling, speaking into what God is doing, being a, a mouthpiece to God in some way. There is still a role for the prophetic ministry in that sense. Um, and then there's all the, the revelation gifts, words of knowledge, um, prophecy, as I said. What are some other things that, that exist in the prophetic ministry? Intercession. Intercession. Don't be scared. Yep, yep. Yep, so prayer ministry in that sense. Exhortation, yes, encouragement, words in those ways. So again, we have these functions of the prophetic, what we have, and that's what we want to see as well in the church communities, that people are prophesying. Paul talks a lot about that in 1 Corinthians you know, 12 to 14, where he explains this, this function, this role. It's like, I would desire that everybody would...
would speak in tongues, but more so that everyone would prophesy. So prophecy should be a normal part of the everyday interaction of believers, where we're hearing the heart of God and the voice of God, and we're speaking that out to one another. That's what that's that's. But again, that's the fruit, hopefully, of a prophetic foundation. Okay? I just want to be really careful and clear to, to kind of distinguish these two things between what it is to have a prophetic foundation, what it is to have prophetic ministry. Okay? Right, healthy prophetic ministry must be built on a prophetic foundation in the same way that right and healthy apostolic ministry must be built on an apostolic foundation and within an apostolic paradigm. Okay? And I believe that what we often see uh, that is called apostolic ministry in the church can be apostolic ministry, but it's not built upon an apostolic foundation. So you get people who are really great at planting churches, but they're not great at, at fathering and raising up leaders and sons and that kind of heart of God. So they get the, the ministry of God or the you know the, the outworking of, of lots of people getting saved in the church and being planted, but contained within those communities are sons and daughters and mothers and fathers, which is a, a primary dynamic of the apostolic ministry, in my opinion. So the foundation that a prophet lays is things like, as I said before, covenant faithfulness, intimacy with God, obedience to God, okay? hearing his voice and saying, yes, Lord, whatever the cost, we will follow. It's God first and us second. A prophetic foundation creates an environment that says God is first and I am second. And I am most primarily concerned with what God wants, not what I want. And I shared a couple of times with different people on Friday that um, this idea, and I know I've shared it here before, but um, when we move from worshipping idols, so a non-Christian, we worship false gods, to coming into worship the true God, okay? the object of our worship changes. So we go from maybe worshipping you know, self or food or whatever it might be, false gods, to worshipping the true God. Okay? And it's really good, it's an important step. But we must also understand that the way that we worship must also change. When you worship an idol, you are worshipping that false god ultimately for your own benefit. So you're doing the things that that false god wants you to do in order to manipulate them to get what you want back. Okay. So this is the understanding even in the Old Testament where people that would have all of the gods, the god of fertility, the god of the rain, the god of you know all these different gods that they worship, the Greek gods. And they would do things, they would make sacrifices, they would even sacrifice their children. They would do all of these sorts of things to appease the gods, to get the gods to do what they needed them to do. Which ultimately is really putting yourself above them in the scheme of things. So it's like, I'm doing what you want me to do in order that you'll do what I want to do. It's manipulation and control and witchcraft and all of that sort of stuff. So the problem is, if we grow up in this environment where we're worshipping idols and we come out of that and say, oh, no, I want to worship God now, we need to understand that we are no longer, we can no longer worship Him in the same way. We have to change the way that we worship and we need to get off the throne. We need to stop doing the things that we think God wants us to do in order that He will do the things that we want Him to do. God is God and God is good and God will do whatever He wants to do. And whatever He wants to do is the best thing for you and the best thing for Him and the best thing for everyone around you. And that's often sometimes the case is when we like, well, I've sacrificed to you, God, and I prayed this hard, and I did all of these things. I've been a good Christian, God. So you owe me. And the reality is God owes you nothing. God owes you far, far, far less than what you will receive. God owes you eternal punishment, condemnation, and death because of your rebellion and sin. Because of the cross of Christ, that's no longer what we receive. And God, in His goodness, makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So even the unrighteous who continue to live as enemies of God, God makes it rain upon them. Because He is that good. Even on His enemies, He loves. He pours out love and blessing. But the understanding is that we are not God. And we need to let go of this entitlement that we expect that God must do something for us. We know that He will, and we should have an eager expectation that God will pour out good into my life because He is good, not because I am deserving of His good. And it's not that I'm, I'm a worthless, pitiful nothing. I have value because God puts value on me. Okay? But I'm not valuable necessarily in and of myself. Something, you know, I would take my phone. This is not, I'm not 
dishonoring my wife in any way, but when Lisa looks at her phone, which is my old phone, or even if she looked at this phone, she sees a device that you use for doing stuff, okay? See, I see a beautifully crafted piece of machinery, like, I mean, you see the case I've got, and it's just, it's just beautiful. Like, I love, I just love the design, and it's just smooth, and how they put it all together, the intricacies of it, it's just a beautiful piece of machinery. Now, the reality is, it has worth in and of itself because Apple says this is how much you're going to pay for it. But I put far more worth upon it than my wife does simply because of, you know, my perspective on it. Okay? It doesn't change the actual inherent worth of the phone. I'm sure it's actually not worth that much, you know, when it comes to the parts and the labor and all those sorts of things. So in the same way with us, it's, we are valuable because God puts value on us, not because we are valuable necessarily in and of ourselves. Apart from God, and apart from the cross of Christ, we aren't necessarily, I'm not trying to put you down, make you feel bad, but you get what I'm saying. Okay? So when we stand before God, it's important to understand that I'm nothing, God. You are everything. And you call me to be something with you. I was thinking the other day about where, you know, the Bible says, you know, so God says, I will, I will, I will not give my glory to another. That's my tattoo. Is solely there Gloria. All, all glory to God alone. And the reality is, I think that's true, and I think that carries on into the new covenant. And yet God talks about pouring out his glory upon his people, being carriers of his glory. And so my understanding of this is that apart from God, he won't give his glory from him to someone apart from him. But when I come into covenant relationship with God through the blood of Christ, when I step into that, when I'm born again into his family, when I come into mystical union with God, as Jesus proclaims in John, in the book of John, as I come into that place of oneness, God pours out his glory on me, not because I am other, but because I am saved. Because Amen. Amen. I'm in him. God in you. Christ in you, but us in God. We are in Christ in that way. So he absolutely pours out his glory on his people, but it's not separate from himself. It still re remains his glory because we are his. That's a side note. That's a freebie. So God first, us second. Um, the prophetic foundation is, is a presence-focused um, kind of approach to, to God. We want God to be pleased. We want God to dwell. We want to know his presence in a place and in people. That's the honouring of God over people, as I said. Gathering for God and not for others. So even what we do in the church, we're primarily a people that are for God. And that means we're primarily not a people that are for the lost. We are, but primarily, kind of it's this order of importance, is God first. And when God is first, and when his heart is poured out, that's when a love for people comes. But it comes in that right order, in that right flow. Because God's heart is for people. So, I believe the primary role of the prophet is not to prophesy or to raise up prophets. Rather, it is to lay a prophetic foundation of covenant faithfulness and intimacy with God that all other ministry is then built upon. Okay? So, prophets do raise up prophets. Prophets do teach people to prophesy. And as Paul said, and it's a requirement because Paul's desire as an apostolic leader that, that it helped to establish and lay a foundation in the body, you know, for the body of Christ going on for generations now. Prophecy should be part of our everyday experience. Okay? So people who are gifted in to prophesy are here to teach us to prophesy. But I believe the primary role of prophets is to lay a prophetic foundation. So the prophetic gift that isn't built on a prophetic foundation will become distorted. Prophecy is a gift from Holy Spirit, but prophecy is also, prophets are a gift from Christ. Okay? So again, there's a difference when we read about gifts being poured out by the Holy Spirit. Okay? These come on anyone. But when we read in Ephesians 4.11, it says, And Jesus gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to build up for the building up of the body of Christ. Okay? So this means that, if you have somebody who is not built on a prophetic foundation and they can receive the gift of prophecy from God, okay, but they're not necessarily 
prophesying covenant faithfulness. They're not necessarily prophesying intimacy and the heart of the Father in that way. Does that make sense? So we need prophetic DNA, not just prophetic gifting. Prophets will raise up prophets and teach people to prophesy, but that is secondary to creating a culture of God-first people. True prophetic ministry reveals and manifests the heart of God, not just the words of God. We're proclaiming the heart of God, not just the words of God. You cannot prophesy an accurate word from God if love is not present. Is love, if love is not present, then God is not present. Now, that doesn't mean that the person will receive the word as loving. Okay? This, again, is the one who is prophesying. It's their responsibility to have love growing in their heart, the God love growing and manifesting in them. Okay? Now, it doesn't mean if somebody doesn't want to hear it, they won't hear it. But the prophet themselves is, must be prophesying from a place of love, from a place of knowing that this is about drawing people back into, even if somebody is wayward and living in sin and walking away from God, the role of the prophet is not to condemn them, but to call them back into that place of intimacy with the Father. Anyone agree? Um, so when it comes to this idea of, of, of the presence of God, of honoring God in that way, it seems to be a trend in the church where we set up environments that draw people in the hope that they might encounter God. And so I, I get that. that. That makes a lot of sense. So we make the church attractive and we make the people attractive with the hope that others will find God attractive. My issue with this is that I don't believe that God needs a PR and marketing team. I think we've assumed God's he's getting a bit on in years. And now he's kind of in this like old and like, you know, people are they're into new things, God. So but you just you sit back there in the in the background, we'll do a whole lot, we'll we'll take over the PR and marketing side of things for the church, right? So you just sit back there and we'll we'll do all that sort of stuff and man, we're gonna it's gonna be look great and you know everyone's gonna look pretty and nice, and everyone's going to go, wow, I really like that. I've heard, you know, I've heard stories from non-Christians who have you know, maybe gone to a church, and they're like, oh, wow, yeah, it's, it's like really cool, it's like a rock show, and all that sort of stuff. And I think there's people who would, I know who I've talked to, who are leaders of, of you know, large influential groups, like, yeah, that's, that's part of the purpose of what they're doing. And there's so much creativity, there's a lot of, it's good stuff, there's nothing wrong about what they're doing. They're not sinning in that sense. But I feel like sometimes it creates this mentality that God in and of himself isn't beautiful enough to draw people in. We think that somehow we need to make God palatable or make him relevant. And in so doing, God's most relevant parts can be taken out of the equation. His glory his power, his love, his righteousness, his holiness. These attributes of his nature are what brings about change and represents him best. It's the very nature of God. If you do too much in that way of trying to draw people in, then people get drawn in for all of those purposes and not for the presence. So they're not getting drawn to God, they're getting drawn to the church. And like I've, I've literally sat with people and they're like, no, we don't do any of those things. We don't, and we, I mean, we don't pray in tongues for people, we don't do this, we don't do that, because we don't want to scare people away. Now, hopefully, eventually, they stick around and they get to that sort of stuff, but we don't do any of those things. And I'm also not advocating to be a bunch of wackos and weirdos. You follow the Holy Spirit of God. But I want to tell you, when God, and this happened throughout history, as revival is poured out in places, in the most unlikely of places, the presence of God comes, and it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter the depth of sin that you're in, you fall, people fall on their knees in conviction of their sin. Now again, you call that conviction of sin when the presence of God isn't there, then just people get condemnation, they don't get conviction. But when the presence of God is there, and you call out those words, people are like, this is, when you read the revivalists from history, they're like, and even at, at, in, at you know, just after Pentecost, they're like, what can we do? Tell us what we need to do. Repent and believe. Repent. You know? 
work that they were of this sin. If we strip away those essential elements of God, and if we don't prioritize His pleasure as being primary, then people don't come in and they don't meet God. They meet the church. And the church can be loving and gracious and beautiful and all of those things, and they're very, very good things. But if God isn't present, I feel to me, you know, we're just we're drawing people in under false pretense. Prophets create an environment where God feels most welcome, a place where He is honored and glorified, where His presence dwells in abundance. It's the manifest presence and power of God that changes people. It's what built the early church. It was signs and wonders. It was the power of God. It was the revelation of God poured out as the Holy Spirit literally just fell on people. As you, as you read the story through Acts, the understanding of the, of the very early church was this is for, for Jews. Jesus came for the Jews and we're going around and we're telling different kind of Jewish groups about the Savior has come, the Messiah has come. And all of a sudden, there's this big crowd of Gentiles there, so non-Jewish people, outside of the covenant promises of God, or so they thought. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit falls on them in power. And they start manifesting the same things that happened to the Jews just earlier on. And they're like, oh, I think God wants to save the Gentiles as well. And that's when you read through you know, Galatians and Ephesians and, and those kinds of books, particularly Ephesians, if you want to read about the purposes of God, for the, all the promises of God, but for the Gentiles as well, their pillar is... Members of the same body, public to the promise, yada, yada, yada. So as I said before, when it comes to you know, the, the, the prophet's uh, purpose is to prophesy with love, but it won't necessarily be received with love. And when you're drawing someone back into faithfulness to God, if you're living in unfaithfulness, those who are unfaithful don't like the voice of a prophet and they don't enjoy a prophetic culture. The church built on a prophetic DNA and operating in a prophetic environment. If you, if somebody comes into that environment and they're living in unfaithfulness to God and they don't want to be faithful to God, they will not enjoy that environment. And they should leave. I don't mean they should. Like... It's, it's, it's good that they would come into a place and they would have to choose. Do I want to be faithful to God or do I, not, do I not want to be faithful to God? Because if you don't want to be faithful to God, quit lying to people. You know, quit lying to yourself. He wants faithful people. He wants a bride. Now, again, it doesn't mean you come in you realize, oh, I'm, I'm, I, I know that area, I'm not faithful. I'm that area, I'm not faithful. But I want to be faithful. It's not like a, a sort of a black and white in that kind of way. But I'm sure if somebody, if, you know, if a, if a man was, was being unfaithful to his wife and he didn't want to get caught, and then he was caught, he would deny and he would avoid and he would do, do all of that sort of stuff. I'll tell you a vulnerable story. I, I've, uh, I, I've caught somebody um, in the act of adultery. So the first moment that, they, that this person had interacted with another person and they had crossed the line and I happened to, to, to see it, and it was, it was quite a traumatic time. I probably went even forever. Um, and, uh, but I then went to the leadership of the church, and this person was in the leadership role, and, and we sat down and, um, and we talked it through, and I was petrified because I know what I saw. And I know there was no denying what I saw. And I was petrified that I would sit down with them and they would deny everything. Um, thankfully, by the grace of God, they received me. And they were grateful that it had been exposed in that way. But on and on, I think there are people that they're living in unfaithfulness to God. They know that they're being unfaithful and they don't want to be exposed. They don't want their unfaithfulness exposed because they're enjoying cheating on God. They're enjoying it. And that's what, I mean, that's what sin is. Sin should, when we're confronted by our sin, we should feel bad because we're being unfaithful to God. We're worshipping something other than Him. And when you come into a relationship with God, you come into covenant with Him. You come into this that marriage, intimacy with God. Jesus as the bridegroom to His bride. So don't be surprised 
than in a prophetic culture. And if you carry a prophetic gifting, now I do think that we need to be aware that just because you see something, if you're prophetic, just because you see something doesn't mean you have to say something. God sees everything and he doesn't say everything that he sees. If he did, well, we'd be in trouble. He has mercy that covers us. Love covers a multitude of so he, and he doesn't overlook in terms of ignoring it, but he knows, okay, now's the season for this, now's the season for this. And I do think that um, what I've noticed for, for people, and God has taught us this in our journey, even as a leadership, that um, just because you see something in somebody, if, if they don't have the right foundation in their life to uphold that new revelation or that whatever it be, that, that conviction of that sin area, then the whole person can crumble. Because they can't actually withstand and uphold it. So sometimes people need what? They need a bit of pastoral ministry. They need some teaching ministry. They need to come into a place of understanding. They just need to be loved. They just need a safe environment where they can come into this place and go, okay, I, I, I feel like I've, I can feel the ground underneath me now. Okay, now I can now I can take on that work. Okay, so Holy Spirit knows that timing is something that's taught even in the, the prayer ministry teaching of Elijah House. You wait for those ripe seasons. But even in that place, you will come across people who don't want to be faithful to God. And sometimes people just need to be called out on their unfaithfulness. And they get to decide, no, actually, I want to live. I don't want to be faithful to God. So a, a prophetic foundation, I believe... Um, determines how we worship, even corporately, what we do in the corporate environment. Because we are God first. Okay? So it means what you know, what we sing and where we go and all of those sorts of things. We're wanting to follow God in that moment. We're wanting to honor God, not necessarily make people comfortable. At the same time, we're not, you're not trying to make people uncomfortable. Okay? God cares about people. And so he might say, you might feel like a, you know, a, a tongue come out, but I've got to burst this out. And God says, no, I don't want to release that. Because you care about that person. But at the same time, you might do the opposite. You know, I know even in thinking about uh, the the Come Alive conference, there was at least three people who weren't Christians that came along to the conference. One of them was a was a Muslim. Now, really, when you think about it, probably not like you wouldn't necessarily think, I want to evangelize to someone. I'll bring them along to a healing trauma conference. Yeah, pre ministry training, you know. Because this just doesn't wouldn't necessarily naturally flow. You'd be like, oh, I'll invite them over for dinner. I'll, I'll, I'll leave them. But God knows. And I saw the way that God even uh, caused Sandra, Selma Gerson, to, to prophesy over these people and to minister in ways. And the heart of God was revealed and exposed and blessed and brought about change. It was a beautiful thing. And I do believe, and it, it really even more reestablished, um, that heart ministry is such an amazing evangelistic tool to, to minister to those deeper areas in people and to bring healing and restoration. So again, I'm saying that uh, it's God first, but it's not then not considering people. So please hear my heart. But do you want to share some stuff on whoever comes to mind? I'm kid and I understood what it was to be used by the Lord and that that was a good thing but he 
actually wanted to have my heart and to be one with me and it didn't matter what else I did. Um, and my whole life was upside down and I, I kind of had to reform um, based on intimacy. And I fell in love with God like I don't think I could fall in love with anything. To the point where where he is enough. And I know that we'll keep going through hard things in life and we'll hit hard knocks, but when you're redeemed from something so appalling, and when you can keep going through things and he shows you the way, it's just true that he's enough. And um, I started to see how my prophetic word was so interpreted through my broken heart. It's really dangerous. Can you imagine giving a message on behalf of someone else and not understanding the person you're talking about. Like, Amy will say to me, can you please tell Brad, I can't come to church today, I'm really not feeling well, and I know that Amy would hate to not come because of such and such, and she's legitimately not feeling well. But if I don't know Amy's heart, I could say it as, Brad, Amy's not coming to church today, and she's not feeling well. And it's just different because you're not communicating the heart of a person, and that's a really basic example. When someone before you doesn't know the Lord, or they know him but something broken, or they know him better than you, it's really important that if you're going to say anything at all, you do it like he would. And there's and that in itself is impossible. It's only by his grace that you could even communicate his purity and his consistency and his faithfulness and his strength. It's, it's just who, who are we to be able to even interpret the kindness of God. It's just unfathomable, the wisdom and the way he works things. So sometimes I think people with prophetic giftings or spiritual giftings almost feel a bit elite. I knew I did. It was like a, anyone can serve, but can you see a picture? Really, it was it was gross. But actually, sometimes I don't I long to be someone who could just serve because that is a way better gift to be that humble. To have the heart of God that I would desire to serve all the time. As you get to know him, all you want to do is the soft, beautiful things and the generous and the costly things. And the spiritual gift is terrifying because if you misinterpret him, him, what's the point? It's such a precious gift. You don't play with that. And you just long not to be someone who turns around and says, hey, I've got a word for you. Hey, I've got a word for you. You long to turn to someone and say, hey, he can speak to you. And you can hear it. So that they can sit and just delight in his presence and stop serving to try and find him or stop doing all the things they do, but they can be still and hear and see. So I guess for me, coming from a place of intimacy, it isn't so much about the illustration um, and the and the shining even of the prophetic giftings. It's the intercession and the, and the deep desire and the, when I minister to people I'm going to show you what he looks like so you can walk out and carry that and start talking to him right there like you will never leave this space that you just tasted because far be it from me that I speak to you and you leave here and you can't find him like what is that that's just cruel <laughs> but if I can sit with you until you can taste that same place I'm sitting in because you've never known how to find it and you can walk away still carrying it, that's, that's what it's for. It's to lead you to that little place where you can stay there. So I think for us, we're just, even from a worship place, I don't want to just sing songs. I want to I want to be where he is and release what he wants to say. And I want to tell him that he's beautiful and in the way that he is. Far more beautiful than anything we could eat of every day. He's just... So much more with all the good things he's given us and all the blessings. And it's not a little like, oh, you're amazing and my life sucks. It's a, it's a, there's joy in every season if we see his face. You know? It's, it's, it is, he is goodness. It's just you cannot live without goodness if you have him. It's, that's how it is. And, and to be able to help people in their healing journey and with the, my own wholeness being a priority, you know, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling purely so that I may hear him better and that I may sit with him more and be able to release 
what he has for people by sitting with people with him so that you can walk out and do life with him and to have that presence and that love overflowing instead of feeling like a slave to the process. Like, that's way more important than you visiting every Sunday and getting a special word, I think. I think that you can wake up and know that he's sitting in the room with you and he's just done over you all night. I think that's way more important. That you can stand in a hospital when something's going wrong and nobody's we've holding your hand that he can speak to you that clearly. I think that's way more important than having to call someone because you can't hear. And I don't think you have to be 100% whole to hear. It's never been the way it is. He speaks to anybody. So to feel confident that he speaks to you even when you don't know what he looks like half the time. I think uh, again, when when you when God gives you prophetic sight um, and you see things that are out of order, love produces compassion um, and causes you to want to bring about change for that person for their good, not for your not to come into alignment with what you believe is good, but for their goodness. Uh, and I know that it's been a journey for me, even in worship, what it is to, to enter into that place of intimacy and freedom with God. And I know there's a whole lot more I had to go. Um, but when I see people not engaging in corporate worship, um, and it's not a judgment like, you know, you should, I'm like, like oh, I really want you to know that, that intimate worship in the Bible. Um, and so it's, it's a compassion, like it's like, oh, I just, I just, I want you to know that free because I didn't know it, and now I, I know something of it, and I just know how good it is. You know, it's like I talk to people about you know baptism and the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, so you can, yeah, uh, I, I never had a, a, a theology of baptism and the Holy Spirit until I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Oh, well, okay, well, I probably should. Um, but it was something where I don't think it makes you a super Christian, but I think it gives you the ability to be super intimate with God, to step into that to that new place. And that's, again, the, the function and the role. God's not trying to um, raise up perfect people. He's trying, he's calling lovers. The sin in your life God is God's concern is because it diminishes intimacy. As unfaithfulness does in, in anything, it, it diminishes intimacy. Because it's taking what is meant for connection in this place and it draws connection from these other places. And so even when God is drawing you back, and again that can be the that, that prophetic voices that we're we're caught finding all of our satisfaction in things in the world. You know, I know, you know, Rachel, because of her journey, and again, I was going to say, uh, Rachel found that place in a season of hardship and brokenness. She found that deep place with God. So I want to encourage you if you're in a hard place. Um, it is absolutely, there is treasure to be mined that you that you possibly might not find in any other season. And it's often the opposite that we think, well, we want to run away from the pain and, and just pour ourselves and feed ourselves with all these immediately gratifying things. But there's gold in that in that place in that season. Um, but I know coming out of that season, and you know, Rachel would talk about, you know, well, I don't, I don't watch those shows, or I don't listen to that music, I don't, I don't do those things. It's like, oh, you know, here we go, you know. Um, and it can, and the, the reality is it can come across, because you've got religious environments that are like, we don't drink, we don't do this, we don't do that, we don't do that. And it's all just bound up in this gross religiosity, you know, trying to confine and control people. But when you come into a place and you taste intimacy with a father, you're like, oh wow, I know that 
because when I engage with that, it turns off that valve in my heart. In the world. When I go and when I listen to that, it stirs something in me that is out of alignment with God's heart. And we start to view it from this way, like, I want to make decisions in my life that either lead towards greater intimacy with the Father. Like, that's the decisions that I want to make, and that's the decisions that I'm making. They're either leading me more into his heart or further away from his heart. And sin does that. It, it diminishes in those things. And I know, it's just like you, you sense it in your life. And it's not God cutting you off. Thing. It's you cutting yourself off from God in that way. Because there's something in your heart that is desiring of the Lord. And we're finding our satisfaction and gratification. Did you have yeah, I was just going to say um, when I when I had that word at the worship, there was more to it, but it wasn't right to say it. But one of the things that I was seeing at the same time as I as I heard that was that the Lord thirsts for us, and that in that worship He's thirsting for us, and that actually the worship is the medium or the interface through which God gets us. You know what I mean? And out of that us comes that what he's looking for is that oneness, that, that intimacy. And the worship is just the interface for that. But also in the light of in the light of what you're talking on, you know, Revelation 19 10 says that Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So we know that before the foundations of the earth, he wrote our life story. So out of that intimacy you become that, he becomes that self-fulfilling prophecy that he dictated before the beginning of time. And so that's the imperativeness of that drinking and, you know what I mean, that symbiotic relationship that he wants. And that's how it all works. But just one more thing, like also speaking prophetically about the life of this church, like with the people that have come and put their shoulder to your shoulder, one of the things that is on this house is there is a spring. I've seen it since I first started coming here. There's a spring of living water. And that's on the house. And what comes out of this house comes from the God. You know, you couldn't you couldn't take this worship and actually make it work somewhere else because it's on the house. And so for all of those people that have come into this putting their shoulders together with you, we need to get this. Because out of this unity with him and with each other. There's something that God wants to do, and He wants to bring people to drink and to find rest and to be healed and to be made whole. And there's many that will stay because they don't want to. No one wants to walk away from a from a living stream. And so that was the importance of that prophetic word today for, for, for everybody is to coming together, not just in Him and to Him, but to each other. Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't. Uh, I guess part of the apostolic kind of function of the is that is that pioneering and, and all those sorts of things. Um, and that's often the thing, you know, for me is when you when you step out, um, that pioneering place, that kind of on the on the edge, is a, is a lonely place. Uh, and it's not lonely because you don't have people with you. It's lonely because it's, it's not necessarily understood. In the same way that you have the blueprints, and from the blueprints you see, from the blueprints, you see, the, the architect sees the house, but everyone else just sees the blueprints. Okay? And they trust you. Well, well, I hear what you're saying, and I'm, I'm trusting you that the house is going to look like what you say it's going to look like. Yeah, but it's, it's encouraging. That's always my thing. Is like, I want I want people to understand why we do what we do, and it doesn't mean that everyone should do what we do. It's not like everyone should worship like we worship, and every church should, should do what it is. I think there are elements, and always for me, it's like well, I think every church should have the same DNA and the same heart because it's biblical and godly, in my personal opinion. Um, but it doesn't mean it's the same form. What we do in terms of form is is not irrelevant, but it's always secondary to why we're doing what we're doing. It's the heart, it's the DNA, and that's what, for me, what's so important about building the right foundation and what gets built naturally forms on top of that. And so someone might come in and go, hey, like, why can you do more thoughts on the Or why can you do this? Or why does this happen? Or why does this happen? It's like, okay, well, because 
we're trying to do this. We're not trying to, you know, why isn't there more colored lighting on the stage? Why isn't there so Why don't we use different coffee beans? Um, I don't know if people probably don't ask that, but uh, some of them are. But that's the thing to understand, okay, yeah, cool. I, I totally get that, and I totally see how that works, and I totally see the importance of that in another context, but you understand, this is what we're trying to build here. And we know we, we're not getting it right in every way, and we know it's a, it's a journey and a revelation. Hey, now, if you stop going through that door, please. Um, we know that there's more um, that we can understand, but we, we have a task at hand that we're pursuing, and we have a limited amount of resource available. So we can do all of these great things and be a particular church, but it would be unfaithful to what God is for us. And that's my daily prayer. Almost done. So the presence of God. I would rather have the presence of God and no people than a room full of people and no presence. And again, the presence of God is, I think the greatest priority is that it dwells in us. Right? That's the greatest priority. Um, secondary to that is that God would manifest himself in a place. But when God manifests himself, my thing is like, man, he's either come to destroy <laughs> or he come because he wants to dwell. Now, it's not time for him to destroy, so I don't think God is dwelling anywhere on the earth at the moment. When Jesus comes, that'll be the time to judge, okay? So his heart isn't to do that. So when he dwells and he shows up, I know he's here because he wants to be here. He wants to make himself known. He wants to say to us as a people, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't just dwell in here. I want to dwell amongst you. I don't like being in that environment. And you, when you create a heavenly environment, where God likes to dwell. It's drawing. It creates that vacuum of his presence. When we pursue the heart of the Father and intimacy, we create a place where he desires to dwell. There is no substitute for God himself. Another role of, of prophetic ministry or prophets is to draw people into the current flow of what God is doing now. Prophets are interested more in seasons than in doctrines. Okay? Now you shouldn't have, you should, if you're a prophet or you operate in prophetic ministry, you should have the doctrine. It's important. It's a checkpoint because no one hears 100% accurately. Okay? But there's seasons where something is right, and it's right for that season, and the next season it's not right. It's wrong. And prophets help the body of Christ to navigate what is the season that we are in, and we'll get we'll jump into that flow, okay? And then the season changes, so then we jump out of that flow and we jump into a different flow. And sometimes it can be like almost contradictory, like but you are all about that, and now you're all about this. I said, yeah, because God's all about this at the moment, and this is what he's wanting to build in. And then he might take us over here and we'll be all about that. Um, and I'm okay with that. So just be aware. Things change because God's seasons change. So what is our part to play in building a prophetic house? I think it's important that we listen for the heart of the prophetic and the heart of the prophets. We listen for the heart of the Father in what God is calling for. So even as people are immaturely kind of learning what it is to a function of the prophetic, we need to listen for the heart of the Father, but primarily above all things that we're not concerned about what is best for me, but what is best for the Lord in any situation. And then we're listening out. We're listening for the voice of God. And you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Okay, You don't need to seek out prophetic words from every other person, although God might be leading you to do so. You have the voice of God. And so as you, as you are stepping in and being built upon a prophetic foundation, I want to encourage you to be learning what it is to hear the voice of God for yourself. So important. And it comes through intimacy. We tune ourselves in. Um, another thing that we can do is to give value to intimacy with God. And again, not pursuing righteousness so that you feel better about yourself or so that you feel more righteous, but pursue righteousness because it leads you into deeper intimacy. If you carry a prophetic call in your life, seek the heart of God and not just the voice of God. Um, I want to share, I don't know if I mentioned it the other week, but uh, I was uh, had a phone conversation with David Tenson and he had been at the Australian Prophetic Summit over on the Gold Coast. And so um, people internationally, but a whole lot of different prophetic uh, ministers from around Australia, 
meeting together. I just had a few different people share and great stuff. There's some videos online. If you actually go on Facebook and type in Australian Prophetic Summit, you can see some of the videos. Uh, particularly by Gary Morgan, who's just got an incredible word of knowledge gift. So he'll get um, names and birth dates. And I think uh, John and Cher saw him when he was in Rockingham earlier in the year. But he'll just get, um, what's this name mean? And uh, someone will come, oh, that's me. And what's this, what's this date? That's uh, my birthday. Okay, cool. And who's so and so? Oh, that's my husband. Okay, cool. And, uh, and what's this date? Oh, that's our anniversary. Okay, cool. And then he just, it's incredible. Um, but what was, what I saw in the videos that I watched and what David communicated to me was how much the heart of God and how much heart ministry happened in, in that environment. And now again, if you, if you classically look at prophetic ministry, um, and this is the work that I believe God is doing, he's transforming and reforming true prophetic ministry built on a prophetic right foundation. Um, but sometimes prophets can be wounded people. They have wounded hearts. They have, they have good prophetic gifting, but wounded hearts. And so then sometimes they avoid community. They avoid intimacy with people because, no, no, I just get, I get everything I need from God. I know that is absolutely true that you get all that you need from God. But I also know that God places in community. And so he purposes that we don't get all that we need from him. But we get all that we need from him through our I think that's God's purpose to do that. Um, but, but classically, you wouldn't necessarily put prophets in the camp of like being the most pastoral people on the face of the earth. Okay? That's in the, in the, if you look at it negatively. You know, right? um, but to see and to hear that a whole bunch of prophets just from Australia gathering together and how much heart ministry happened. I mean, and David Shin, you know, he was just getting invited to all these opportunities to minister into people's hearts. And that's, you know, the Elijah House ministry is a prophetic pastoral ministry primarily in that, in that way. And so to see this shift that God's happening where he's, he's just causing the hearts of his people to come into healing and wholeness. Okay? So that even people who are, and as, as I say, as I encourage you, if you've got a prophetic gift, get around some pastors and get your heart healed. Because that will purify you. If Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Prophetic function is about seeing and communicating God. Seeing God communicating what you see, but it'll be a blessing when the heart is pure because then it filters through impurity and comes out in that way. Cool? Um, I think our part to play is to become passionate worshippers. And I know when you say, oh, don't judge me, Brad, because I'm not, you know, raising my hands in worship. Again, it's not about us all looking the same. But I believe there's greater freedom for each person in this room to heart, soul, mind, and strength engage, even as we corporately worship you, to come into freedom. And if you feel like, oh, I should raise my hands, but then what do people think? So, okay, so just so you know, you're not free. Okay? And it's okay to not be free, but God has more freedom for you. Okay? So I think even when it comes to, and it's not just corporately, individually, every moment, just coming to that place where you just sing your heart out to God, you're engaging in that place, you're soaking with Him. Yeah? No judgment or condemnation on anyone's form of worship. But to say, I believe that there's a greater measure of freedom, and even prophetically, uh, how we worship and what we do. Last point, Galatians 5.24, but it says essentially uh, that in Christ we've crucified our flesh and all of its desires. I think to be a truly prophetic house, there has to be an engagement with the crucifixion of the flesh. Because the flesh sets itself up in enmity towards God. So you want to follow the purposes of God, We've got to step out of this fleshly mentality that it's all about me, it's all about what I want, it's all about what I desire, and step into this reality. It's all about God, it's all about what He desires, it's all about what He wants. And I know as I seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, everything else will be provided for me. I don't need to worry. I'm not going to miss out if I put God first. You will not miss out in your life if you put God first. You will receive everything that you require and everything that you desire as He purifies you. Let me pray. We just thank you, Father God, for what you're doing, Lord. Not just in this little community here, Father, but across this city, across this nation, and even across the world, Lord, where you are uh, reforming and restoring and rebuilding, and sometimes in some places for the first time, building in an apostolic and a prophetic foundation into your church. 
so that people can come into the fullness of what you have for them, they can walk in the purposes that you have for them, Lord, the destiny that you have for your body, Lord, so that people can be saved, Father, and they can come into right relationship with you, so that your purposes can be fulfilled on the earth, that your glory can be poured out upon all flesh, Lord, upon all peoples, Lord, upon all nations, And I just pray, Lord, that anything that was spoken today was not from you, Lord, that you would cause it to fall from the ground. Anything that came from your throne room this morning, Lord, would be fruitful and would multiply, Lord, and would find a place to rest in our hearts, in our spirits, in our minds, Lord. And God, that you would direct us even individually as we are part of the family, Lord, that we would know our part to play in seeing this place become a place that's built upon a prophetic foundation. That you would stir in our hearts, Father, any ways that we can partner with you in what you're doing. And above all things, God, I pray just for a grace to be released right now intimacy with you this week. That all that condemnation, all that religious expect, expectation that we should, or I should read my Bible, or I should pray more. Lord, I just pray lifting off all of those things. Lord. And God, that people would just get a revelation of your open arms, Lord. Lord, you just want to hold us. You just want to hug us. You just want to speak to us. You just want to connect with us. You want intimacy, Father. You just want faithfulness. You want our love. Help us to see you like that. In Jesus' name. Amen.